Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett, and I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm recording this intro at 12.04 a.m. Sunday night slash Monday morning, and I'm excited to get this message in your ears. This has been a really cool month for us. Uh, it's Pride Month. Uh, it's a big deal uh, at Different Church. Uh, we pride ourselves in participating in Pride events. It's something that we would love to see more churches do. Um, it's not something that we do in order to like try and get people to come to the church. Although, you know, that would be awesome if at some point somebody feels safe and wants to come check us out. Uh, but really we just want to go be a part of the community and show that we think this is the type of thing churches should be doing. So this weekend we marched in the parade and we, uh, after church on Sunday took part in the street fest, which is literally in our backyard. If you've never visited different in person, um, if you go out the, the back door of the church, you walk out onto Central Avenue, which is like, you know, the Central Avenue of St. Pete. Um, <clears throat> it's a really cool part of town. We're really pumped to be there. And anyway, the street festival was right there. Our, our booth was like a block away. And so it was super cool to just be a part of something like this that just celebrates people being who they truly are in our neighborhood. Um, with that in mind, I wanted you to hear just a, a small portion of the welcome from Sunday. Sherry got up and welcomed everybody to church and just very briefly shared some of her experience at the parade. And uh, after you hear her, Hannah's going to come out and no announcements or anything this week. I, I just wanted you to kind of hear what she had to say. I, I thought it was really cool. So let's hear from Sherry and then Hannah. Yesterday, we walked in the parade as a church. It was awesome. If you see someone that looks particularly tired, that might be why, myself included. But it was amazing. It was like super hot, but like starting later at like 6 p.m. was beautiful. And holy cow, like <laughs> I still can't believe like we get to like participate in things like this, like as a church community. Like my favorite part literally of the day was just like holding hands with my girlfriend and just, you know, just existing and then seeing people on the side just like kind of double take like church sign what and just watching people's brains break it was very funny to me <laughs> but also like that's amazing that i just get to exist and be myself in community with all of you <laughs> we have a passage in romans to discuss today now everyone calm down i know romans can be a book people hate <laughs> it is philosophical it is technical it is intense i love romans all the books in the Bible that people are like, I hate that book. I promise you I love it. Um, I'm not sure I would have liked Paul as a person. He's a bit aggressive and intense. But I like Romans. It's fascinating. It's not nearly as scary as it's made, been made out to be. So our passage starts in chapter 6, verse 1, and it goes like this. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined with him in his death? For we died and were buried in Christ's baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in death, we will also be raised to life as he was. Now, that's some theological hula hooping, as most of Romans is. So if, like... If your eyes have already glazed over, <laughs> come back to me. Let's put it in a different term, okay? So 
There's a familiar story in the New Testament about this prodigal son. And there's a guy who has two sons. And one of them, we're going to call him Steve, he twists his father's arm off and he begs and begs and begs for his share of the future inheritance that he's supposed to get after his dad is dead. And he, his dad finally is like, fine, whatever, gives him the money. He goes, blows it all on parties, eventually ends up homeless, eating pig food, utterly miserable. He's made a giant mess of his whole life. So eventually he's like, maybe my dad will let me work for him if I'm really sorry. So he goes home begrudgingly. Like he doesn't want to go home because he did the bad stuff. And he's like, my dad's just going to be like, oh, I told you so. Why are you such a disappointment? But he doesn't do that. His dad runs out on the road to meet him and hugs him and loves him and like throws a big party in his honor. He doesn't shame him. He's just happy his kid is home and safe. Cool. Let's fast forward a few years and imagine life is relatively boring again. His older brother tolerates him again. And Steve is like, hmm, I just remember what a great party we had. I had such a good time when I came home and my dad was so nice to me. Now he's nitpicking the way I bailed the hay again. What if I helped myself to some more money and I ran away again for a little while and then I came back? Maybe he would throw me another party. That sounds absurd, right? But that's exactly how some of us consciously or unconsciously think about God. We're like, God will forgive me. It's God's job. And that's not incorrect. It is God's job to forgive us, right? It is part of God's character to be eternally loving and forgiving, etc. But Paul is asking the question, should we keep on sinning so that God can then keep forgiving us? And the answer, of course, is no. Not because God's going to suddenly run out of patience and like strike you with a lightning bolt, but because when you're in a relationship with someone, you shouldn't try to intentionally hurt them right? So God accepts us as we are. God affirms us as good. That doesn't mean we're then exempt from all future growth as human beings. Paul's argument is that when you become a Christ follower, you actually move from one type of humanity to another. You should not think of yourself as being in the old mode of humanity again. More specifically, Paul says, you die and rise with the Messiah. I can't do it. It's too wobbly. 30% of my brain is like, you're about to die. (laughs) I can't sit on the stool. No, it's too much, okay? I've already wasted precious time complaining about a stool. (laughs) I'm not sitting on the cone. (laughs) Um, One of Paul's central beliefs in Romans is, as a Christ follower, you die and rise with the Messiah. This is like, basically, what is true of Jesus is true of you. So more particularly, baptism for Paul, which is like his, as far as he's concerned, the physical beginning of Christian life, involves us in dying and rising with the Messiah. So symbolically, if you get baptized, you're like symbolically dying with Jesus and being raised to new life. To Paul, that means a change of status. Once you're over there, now you're over here. Over there is sin, over here is grace. By the way, sin is just a catch-all word for like, all the ways we harm ourselves and each other and don't allow ourselves to be fully present and healed and whole. And grace is just a catch-all word for all the ways we heal ourselves and each other 
and for the endless unconditional love that God has for us? I know they're church words, but they don't have to be like they've been. Paul is saying we're no longer over there in sin. God's grace came and met us over there and gave us a path to get out and come over here. Because we're not over there, we have to live like that's actually true. Once you're a person of faith, you can try to pretend like you don't have a new status after all, or you can ignore all the opportunities that God puts in front of you to heal and progress. What you can't do is go back over there. It's not an option. And he continues and says, we know our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ, so sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. When we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin, and now he lives for the glory of God. So you should also consider yourself dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. <sighs> one, yesterday at the parade, all the protesters were confined to one block, which I thought was fabulous. <laughs> St. Pete was like, you're allowed. You can say whatever you want, but you will have to talk over each other. <laughs> and boy, were they trying. When I walked by, there was one guy yelling into a microphone, and I just heard words like righteousness, son of man, repentance, um, long-suffering, all these words. And in my head, I was like, not that anyone's ever been convinced by being yelled at from a microphone of anything. You could be like, I love you so much. And people would be like, oh my God, <laughs> please stay away from me, you weirdo. If you say it at the top of your lungs, we have a problem. But like, I don't think anyone knows what those words mean. Even if you grew up in church, I don't think you know what those words mean. We have like a vague idea. We're like, righteousness is righteous. Seems like God knows about that. Like, talk like a human. So that's what I want to say every time I read Romans. I'm like, Paul, talk like a human. But he cannot. His goal in this passage, it's my job to translate, <laughs> is to help us learn or at least be reminded of the new identity we have. So he's insisting people have had a change of location on the map and we need to live our lives as though this were absolutely true. So he uses a metaphor to get this point across and he says there's two types of humanity, a humanity in Adam and a humanity in Jesus. So we're all born in Adam, meaning over there, with a propensity to hurt each other and cause harm and fight and rage, etc. And... Now we're over here. But honestly, even though we are people of faith now, and we are trying to internalize that God created us good and perfectly capable of endless love and grace and acceptance and wholeness, often it still feels like we're stuck over there in all of our old triggers and terribleness. But Paul insists that actually we're not stuck over there. When I was growing up, it was very popular in church circles to be like, Whenever anyone did anything wrong, you'd be like, oh, it's because of the old man living inside of me. <laughs> the sin nature that I was born with still living inside of me. But that goes against what Paul is explicitly stating in this passage. The old humanity, or what we were stuck with before finding the path of healing that comes with faith, was crucified with Jesus. So it, this old Adam life had its own solidarity, like it enslaved everyone, just like Pharaoh did to the Israelites, like we've been talking about in Exodus for weeks. But the point of being dead is you can't be a slave when you're dead. No one has any power over you anymore. 
Paul is saying in verse 7, once you are dead, the old way of life has no more claim on you. You are free. Paul is saying you are in Jesus, and what is true of Jesus is true of you. However unlikely it sounds, and however much you might doubt it. And what is true of Jesus? He's alive with the kind of death, with the kind of life <laughs> that physical death cannot judge. Jesus is alive with a kind of death. <laughs> it's very metal. <laughs> now, we're not obviously resurrected like we will be one day, but the point of, the point of being a Christ follower is that the, in Jesus, the future comes backwards into the present, so we get a taste of the resurrection. We get a taste of healing and wholeness and completeness now, even while we live in our reality that seems like it sucks. And what this means is that Christians stand on resurrection ground. We are not in Adam. We are in Jesus, the one who died and rose again and now is alive forever. So we're not supposed to be worrying about death. Not personally, not for our churches. Why? Because death is something empires worry about. We're resurrection people. Paul's like, calculate this in your mind. And the word that he uses is like for bookkeeping or like adding profit loss type of thing. So if you're doing math, why you would be doing that, I don't know. But if you're doing math, a math equation, in one sense, when you work it out, you get an answer that it wasn't there before. But in another sense, the answer was always true. You're just finally becoming aware of it, right? Like if you're learning how to add and you're like two plus two equals four. <laughs> this is new information to me. It's new information, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't true previously. If I sell a bunch of stuff and I add it up in the cash register at the end of the day, I'm gonna get an amount that in some sense I did not know before. But I can't, by adding it, make it bigger or larger. It always was that amount to begin with. And Paul is telling us to do the math. Work out the calculation. Even if it's hard to believe the results of the math problem. But faith is not just shutting your eyes and like willing yourself to believe some kind of weird, impossible nonsense. It's opening our eyes to the reality of Jesus and his death and resurrection and to the reality of our own standing as members of Jesus' people. This is the whole point of verse 11. Remember who you are so you can act like it. Now, that's all very churchy. So let me give you a metaphor, a different metaphor, one that Paul did not use. <laughs> so I will not say the word Adam anymore. Let's imagine you're renting a really dumpy apartment from a landlord who is a terrible person. He comes into your house without asking, without prior notice, threatens you with legal action and violence if you don't do what he says, puts all kinds of weird terms in your lease, will not fix anything that's broken. It's awful. And you get used to it, number one, because you're kind of afraid of him, and there doesn't seem to be any way out. You can't afford another place to live because it's St. Pete, who can? <laughs> you can barely afford this place. You just have to make do. There is no other option. You just have to put up with him. But then, to your massive relief, someone who cares very much about you pays off your remaining rent and all the extra exorbitant fees to break your lease, and they find you a new, quieter, safer, and even less expensive place to live. And then they help you move, and they help you clean out your apartment, and they take photo evidence of the cleaning, so that the landlord can't be like, no, you did this. You can't get your deposit back. And they don't want anything from you. 
They just insist that you don't owe them anything. They're just glad that you are out of that terrible situation. It was their pleasure to help you. And you feel like you can finally breathe. But then, one day in your fancy new apartment, your old landlord shows up and barges through your front door and demands more money out of you. And he's threatening to take you to court and using all kinds of legal terms. And you don't know what any of them mean, but it sounds terrifying. And you are very tempted to just give him the few dollars that you have left in your bank account and make him go away, right? Maybe he'll leave you alone. But you're not his tenant anymore. You have seen all the paperwork. The final bill was resolved. You don't owe anything. You have copies, your friend has copies. You have receipts. You have the official letter saying nothing is owed still. And so you push him out of your house. He has no rightful claim over you at all. That's what Paul's saying. That's verse 11. Look at the paperwork. Remember who you really are. Oh, y'all can come back up here. Just realized we're like one paragraph from the end. <laughs> I look into ad lib, it's fine. I can fall off a stool. Remember who you really are. Don't give in to the voices that tell you you're stuck in your old way of life. You're stuck in an old way of behaving. You're stuck in the old way that was full of anxiety and hopelessness and activation all the time and just reacting to what everyone's doing around you. Don't give in and start pretending that you're over there again. Resisting temptation is not a matter of like pretending that you wouldn't find it easier to just give in. It's not a matter of saying it wouldn't be easier to bite someone's head off than take a breath and talk like a reasonable adult, right? It's a matter of learning how to think clearly and act on what you know to be true. And what is true? You are free. You don't have to keep living unconsciously. Your past does not define who you are now or what your future can be. God has brought healing into your life in such magnitude that you are actually empowered to stand up against any old patterns of harm that pop up in your life. Um, I feel like that's the most beautiful message, um, especially on Pride Weekend. You're free now. You're free to be who God created you to be. You're not over there anymore. You're not trapped anymore. You don't have to hide anymore. You're over here, where you've always belonged, where you've always been loved, where grace has always been waiting for you. All you have to do is go live like it. Blessed are the agnostics, the atheists, the believe everything people. Blessed are the ones who doubt. Blessed are the children who can't sit still and the adults who are stuck in patterns, in situations, in trauma. Blessed are the ones who no one notices and the ones that can't escape the judging eyes. Blessed are the quiet, thoughtful ones and the ones who don't have time to think. Blessed are the queer ones the straight ones, the searching for something that feels real ones. Blessed are the ones who have loved enough to know what loss feels like. 
Blessed are the ones who cannot fall apart because they are keeping everyone else together. Blessed are the ones who are not over it yet. Blessed are you. Yes, you. Yes, me. Yes, our greasy, stinky, sometimes bloated, absolutely miraculous bodies. We are of heaven and we are blessed. Go now in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, remembering always that your life is a gift to us all, but most especially to God. Amen. Happy Pride.